This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. If you already have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. This morning we're going to continue in part 2 of the message I spoke last Sunday, praying to shake things up. While you're turning to Acts chapter 4, I want to remind you of the setting where we were in the sermon last Sunday. Peter and John were preaching. And from their preaching, it created quite a disruptive process in the streets of the town. People were getting saved. Lives were being changed. On the way to the temple at the ninth hour, Peter and John went to pray, and there was a lame man. As Peter and John got close to him, he stuck out his hand and was asking them for some type of financial assistance. And Peter and John, as they approached the man, they said to him, look on us. Peter fastened his eyes on the man. He looked into his eyes and he said, silver and gold have we none. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Take up your bed and walk. And immediately, the Bible says that Peter extended to him his right hand as he helped the man up. Strength began to fill his ankles and his legs, and he began to walk. People everywhere saw this. It created quite a commotion. The news had traveled quickly to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders, and it propelled them into a disarray. They said, listen, we can't have this. This whole town is turning to this man, Jesus, and we can't have that. And so they called for Peter and John. They arrested them. They brought them to the magistrates, to the priests, to the Sanhedrin's. They begin to say that these two men have disrupted the whole city. They are preaching in the name of Jesus. And people are turning to this man, Jesus. It's created quite a commotion. And so these religious leaders met. And obviously they had not at that point committed any crime. And so they called Peter and John before them and they said this right now we do not have any charges to hold you with and so we're going to let you go but we're going to let you go under one condition and that is this that we forbid you to preach or teach in the name of Jesus if we have any other disruptions from you the consequences will be much greater now, while this was happening, the disciples were praying on their behalf, John and Peter. And so they let them go, forbidding them to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. That's where we left off last week. That's where we want to pick up today. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness 
they may speak the word. I will tell you that this scene that we have just spoke about had created an element of uncertainty, an element of fear, and yet an element of unparamount faith. These disciples are now on their knees praying a most unusual prayer. Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. As you look at this passage of scripture, you know the setting of the story. and You know the things that are happening. Quite a commotion was in town. A layman who had been lame from his mother's womb had now divinely, miraculously been raised to walk on his own two feet. In the hysteria that's happening all throughout the city, these disciples begin to pray, and they are praying a most amazing prayer. And this is the kind of prayer that was about to shake things up. I want you to notice this morning the word boldness in this passage of Scripture. Actually, we could translate that to mean confidence or determination. And that means this, that there was absolutely nothing that was going to change the mind of these disciples and what they were praying for. They were bound and determined. They were not going to stop praying until God did something. And let me ask you this question today. Have you ever been in such a place in your life? Have you ever gone through such a desperate time where you were bound and determined to pray until God answered you? You were bound and determined to pray until God did something. That's the situation that these disciples were in. And I want to best illustrate what I'm talking about this morning from an Old Testament passage of Scripture. And if you would hold your place here because we're going to come back to it in just a moment, but I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Genesis just for a moment. And I want us to see what I'm talking about, praying with determination and praying relentlessly that you would not stop until God answered, until God blessed you. As you turn to Genesis chapter 32, I'm going to call your attention in verse 22 in just a moment. This is the story about Jacob as he's fleeing from Esau. As you know, Jacob is the son of Isaac. He's the grandson of Abraham, and he's on the run. He's almost like a fugitive. And Jacob is traveling with his family, fleeing from his brother Esau. He gets to a place in the wilderness. He comes to a brook, the, the brook Jabuk. And this is what he does. He does the most unusual thing. When Jacob gets to this body of water, he says to his family, he says, listen, I'm going to send you on the other side. And so he took them to the other side. But Jacob decided to stay on this side of the brook. That's very unusual. Some of you may be familiar with the story. Some of you may not be. But Jacob intends to spend the night on the opposite side of his family. And the reason he's doing this is because 
he had done his brother Esau terribly wrong. If you're familiar with that story, you know that Jacob stole his brother's birthright for a bowl of porridge, a bowl of soup. That was wrong. It was wrong for Jacob to do that. And I want to say this, it's never right, no matter who we are, it's never right to do wrong. We have to understand that. Now we know, ultimately, that it was God's will for Jacob to have the blessing. We know that. But here's the thing. God could have given Jacob the blessing in a respectful way. But now the story is what it is. Jacob's now fearing Esau's revenge. He sends his family to the other side of the brook, and now he's on this side of it. In verse number 22, that's where we begin. The Bible says this, And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the fort Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. Now I want you to notice that. So as Jacob now gets the night ready, Jacob then gets back to the other side of the brook and notice what happens in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. Jacob is on the other side of the brook. He's by himself. And while he is over there, a man, an angel of the Lord, showed up. And a seemingly brawl breaks out. I, I personally do not believe that it was Jacob that instigated this wrestling match. And the reason for that, <clears throat> Jacob was already in a dilemma. <clears throat> Jacob was not what you would call totally in good graces with Laban to begin with. Laban wasn't happy with him, his uncle Laban, and this was going on in one direction, and in the other direction, you have Esau, his brother, who really wanted to kill him. So when you think about Laban being on this side of Jacob, Jacob being in the middle, and Esau being on this side, if you ever really wanted to know what the real meaning of being between a rock and a hard place, Jacob was there. Laban and Esau. And when I thought about that, I don't believe that it was Jacob that instigated this wrestling match because he had Laban against him. He had Esau against him. And the last thing he wanted was a third opponent. Many Bible scholars debate over who this man was wrestling. It's my opinion, as in the order of Melchizedek, that this indeed was the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't have time to ask you to turn to Hosea chapter 12 this morning, but if you write that reference in your Bible, you can go back and read verses 1 through 5 and you can get a better picture of it. But this wrestling match between Jacob and this angel of the Lord took place all night long and Jacob wouldn't quit. He wouldn't stop. And no doubt he realized that this was now a divine encounter. And now notice verse number 25. And when he saw that, he prevailed not against him. He touched the hollow. The angel of the Lord touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now look at that. The sun was coming up. They had been wrestling all night. 
Finally, the angel of the Lord touched Jacob's thigh. And the Bible says that he caused it in such a way that it went out of joint. Finally, the angel, this man wrestling with Jacob, said, Let me go, in verse 26. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Look at that very carefully. Here's where Jacob, by the way, his name was changed to Israel when you study the story. And here's what you can actually say was prevailing prayer. Jacob said to the angel of the Lord, I'm not letting you go. I am not letting you go until you bless me. He held on with all of his might. He wrestled with him all night long and he was not going to turn loose until God blessed him. I personally believe that one of the reasons why we do not see the hand of God move as much and necessary as we would like to see it in our lives is because that we simply do not have the commitment to pray it through. We don't have the commitment, the resolve, the determination to see God do some things. I'm telling you this, we give up too easily. But I will tell you, sometimes when we're praying in desperation and we're trusting God to do something incredible for our life, supernaturally, sometimes in the delay, God may be teaching us a lesson that we're too impatient to see. And what happens is, when God doesn't just run to our need and answer our request immediately like we think we, he ought to, then we just throw our hands up in frustration and we quit praying. Jacob wrestled all night long and he looked into the face of God and he said, I am not going to let you go until you bless me. These disciples in the book of Acts were determined to pray until God was going to shake the thing up. Now, if you go back with me again to Acts chapter 4, I want to call your attention again to verse number 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, look at that very carefully. What is it that they're praying for? They were not praying, if you look at this carefully, they were not praying for God to get the devil off of their back. They were not praying that God would turn the hearts of the Sanhedrin. They were not praying, God, make all of our troubles go away. They did not ask God that he would make everyone like them and that he would increase the number of their friends. They didn't ask God to make them happy. Look at it very carefully. They asked God to give them more power to preach the word. That's significant. And the point is this, they prayed by putting God first. In the beginning of this message and in this entire series, we've talked about how important it is to pray by putting God first. They were praying for God to get the glory. That's, that was their priority. Now, let me ask you this. Has that ever been a priority for your life? When you pray, and I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about prayer. We spend a lot of time praying prayers during the day. But when we begin to pray, and I'm talking about for God to literally shake some things up in our life, do we pray by putting him first, by putting his preeminence above our needs? Do we pray by putting him first? Do we pray by him getting the glory? Now think about this. It was the preaching of God's word that got these disciples into trouble in the first place. 
And the prayer that they're praying is most unusual. They didn't say, Lord, we pray that you would move us to favorable circumstances. These disciples begin to pray and they begin to ask God to give them more power to do what had gotten them into trouble in the first place. They said, Lord, we're in trouble for preaching your word. Now, what did they do? They didn't meet with one another and say, listen now, this preaching business has gotten us in trouble and I think we better tone it down just a little bit. They didn't say, uh, Peter, listen now, I don't want to go back to jail. I, I, I don't want to go back either. And so, listen, we're going to have to try to do this thing in secret operation. They didn't do that. They begin to fall on their knees. And listen, it was preaching in the name of Jesus. It was teaching in the name of Jesus that got them in trouble. So what did they do? They fell on their knees and they say, oh, Lord God. Now listen, they didn't say turn the tide, didn't, didn't pray, change the circumstance. They fell on their knees and said, Lord, we're in this mess because we got ourselves in trouble for preaching the word. Now we pray, God, that you would give us more boldness and more determination to preach it like we'd never preached it before. Now I want you to think about that just for a minute. Give us more grace to preach it. Now, if you get this, you're halfway there with this message. Listen very carefully. Jesus did not come to this earth to get us out of trouble. These disciples fell on their knees and said, we're in trouble, Lord. Give us boldness that we may preach the word more. He didn't come to get us out of trouble. And if we think so, the devil is going to win the victory in our life. Because when we get ourselves in trouble and we think God's purpose is to get us out of trouble. Listen, and when those troubles don't disappear and things in our life do not turn soft as cotton, then what happens is when God doesn't snap to it, we quit praying. We don't have the will, the stamina to pray it through. And so we quit praying. And then when we quit praying, we get mad at God. God, why didn't you do this? I asked you a hundred times, why didn't you do this? And when nothing happens, we get mad at God. We quit praying. But listen, listen to this very carefully. God did not come to this world to get us out of trouble. He came to this world in the form of Jesus to get in trouble with us. You think about the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were about ready to be burned alive. And the king had commanded the furnace to be heated up 10 more times hotter than it was. Listen, you think about this. They didn't say, oh, Lord, get us out of this mess. They said, if God chooses to do it, fine. If he chooses not to, fine. When God showed up out of the scene, listen, he didn't reach in that furnace and begin to pluck them out. Listen, he decided to get in there with them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Lo, hey, what's going on? Did we not cast three in the fire? But now there's a fourth man in the fire. Thank God, listen, he didn't come to get us out of the fire. He came to walk in the fire with us. Thank God he's a fourth man in the fire. Now you think about this. If you read the book of Acts, these disciples stayed in trouble all of the time. And, and I've said this, I don't know, a thousand times maybe perhaps. But you have to remember this as born-again believers. Jesus Christ and his admonition for us to follow him. Do you remember what he said to, 
to the fishermen, Peter, James, and John. He said, drop your nets and follow me. And listen, he did not say, pick up your picnic basket and follow me. He said, if any man follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So you think about that just for a moment. And if you read this encounter here, you, you know that these disciples stayed in trouble most of the time. Now notice what else they prayed here. If you look in verse 30, they said, by stretching forth thine hand, they said, God, give us more boldness to preach the word. And they said, by stretching forth your hand, thine hand, to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. Now notice this. They asked Jesus to stretch forth his hand. How was Jesus, how was God going to do that? How was God going to stretch forth his hand? They were saying, Lord, do your work through us. Use us, O oh God, to glorify your name. Now hold your place. We're coming back. But look at Acts chapter 5. You're real close. Acts chapter 5, verse number 12. These disciples were asking the Lord to stretch forth his hand. And through the stretching forth of his hand that they would be able to do signs and wonders in the name of the holy child Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought. God answered that prayer among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now listen carefully, one of the greatest things that God wants to do for us is to be able to work through us. He cannot do that if we're not committed to praying. When I was preparing this message, I was reading about a beautiful illustration. I was reading about some time ago about a beautiful cathedral in Europe that had been bombed during World War II. And some of the Americans following the war were there and wanted to rebuild that beautiful cathedral. And in this cathedral, there was a statue of Christ with his hands outstretched and there was a Bible verse under the hands of that statue. And it was a very familiar verse. We read it or we quote it from time to time in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so this statue that was in, the, in this beautiful cathedral had been destroyed in the bombing. And these Americans were finding the pieces and putting it back together. And they noticed that when they were nearly finished completing the restructuring of the statue, they noticed that the hands representing Christ were missing. So they put it together the best they could. And when they completed the project, when they got to the place where his hands were not there, they wrote this underneath the hands. They wrote, he has no hands but ours. And I want you to think about that. That's what God is looking for. These disciples were praying. They were in trouble and they were saying, God, give us boldness to preach and stretch forth your hands that as you stretch forth your hands, we can use ours. We will be the extension for you. Give us boldness, O oh God, to preach your word like we have never preached it before. In verse 30, notice this, Acts chapter 4, verse 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. Now, while I'm here, this is something very important. When you're trying to pray to have answers to your prayer, it's very particular, it's very important that you learn how to pray in the name of Jesus. You have to, you must. 
pray in the name of Jesus. In fact, I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, and I'm going to go through several verses for you real quick here, but this is imperative. If you're not praying in the name of Jesus, you're not praying correctly. And I'm trying to help you this morning to get the best benefit, the best answer that you possibly can have in your prayer life. In John chapter 14, notice with me in verse number 13 and 14. The Bible says this, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In chapter 15 and the latter part of verse 16, notice what the Bible says, John 15 and the latter part of verse 16, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. All right, look at chapter 16 and verse number 23. John chapter 16 and verse number 23 and verse 24. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. And so listen carefully. Praying in the name of Jesus means that you are praying in the authority of Jesus. You're saying, Lord, in your authority. You're saying, Lord, in your power. You're saying, Lord, in your glory, for your glory, grant this, that you and the Father may be glorified through the answer. But sometimes I believe that our prayers are just far too selfish. For the most part, we're really not concerned about God getting the glory in a situation that we're in. Many times we're far too focused on ourselves and how we're going to get out of this mess. And because of that, we need to be reminded of what James says. He said, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. And I would pray this, that we have to understand something, that when we're praying in desperation and we're praying in determination, we find ourselves in trouble. Keep in mind, God's purpose is not to get us out of trouble. It's to get in trouble with us. He's to work things out. He wants to work things out where he can have the glory while he'd be honored and, and glorified. We have to remember this, that when we find ourselves in a desperate time to pray, God is not some kind of glorified bellhop up in heaven and we're just listening and waiting for us to give him stuff to do. Listen, God's not up there waiting for us daily to put him on task and put him on assignment to bring to about all of our desires and all of our whims and wants. Sometimes I think if we're not careful, we just think, of God as being some type of glorified Santa Claus. We just make a wish list out. We just start piping this stuff up, up to heaven and we, we hope that he will get busy and meet all of these things. Listen, he's not a grocery clerk walking up and down the aisles of our life throwing stuff in our basket just because we happen to be in a moment of desperation and trial. I think many times we struggle in our prayer life because we simply do not know or understand what prayer really is. Prayer is the means of bringing the power of heaven into our lives. It's to equip us to be the extension of his hand and his will. And I believe this, when we get to the place where we are interested in bringing God's word into perspective where people can respond to it, when we are interested and in, in devoted to exalting him and lifting him up, being an extension of his hand, 
then he will begin to move in our life and we'll begin to see some prayers being answered. But I believe we, we must, we absolutely must be willing for God to have the preeminence. And when you pray, is that a, a matter of importance to you? To pray in such a way that God does get glory for it. That he's the one being honored. That he gets the preeminence. Let me ask you this question. When it comes to prayer, do you acknowledge him as the creator of all things? We talked about this last Sunday. Do you acknowledge him as the controller of all things? Do you acknowledge him as the conqueror of all things? That's important. If you acknowledge those things, Lord, I believe that, and I'm going to extend my prayer to you, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified. I'm putting you first. And Lord, let me be an extension of your will. Let me be an extension of your word. I believe it's when we do this that we put ourselves in a position for a great demonstration of God's power. Look at verse 31. The Bible says this, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Do you need God to shake some things up in your life? I mean, turn some things around. Let me ask you this. If you were to sit down in a quiet time and you were to get out a piece of paper and you were to make a list, one through five, something that you were desperate for God to do for you, what would you say? Would be one, two, three, four, five. Well, God, you know, I need a job. Lord, I, I need a friend. I need a husband. I need a wife. I, I need all this stuff. And I'm not belittling that. Those are things that require prayer. But I tell you this, when we get to really focusing on this thing of prayer, we want our prayers to be answered. We cannot escape the fact that God wants to be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Now I want you to think about that. The place was shaken. Look at the scripture where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That's important. And they spake the word with, of God with boldness and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now notice what happened when the prayer was precise. In verse 31, the Bible says that the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That's important to understand. Because if you read the book of Acts back in chapter 2, they were filled to begin with in Acts chapter 2 with the Spirit. Now they're saying that they want to be filled again. The Bible says they were all filled with the Spirit of God again. That tells me this, friend, that every single day we need to be filled with the Spirit of the living God. Every day. I cannot live on yesterday's filling. There must be a fresh filling every day. And when this happens, listen, that's going to begin a powerful prayer life for you. Now, what's the purpose of being filled with the Spirit? The Bible says this in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. You're close by if you want to see it. Turn there to the left just a little bit. The purpose for being filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
to proclaim the power of God. Someone may pray this, Lord, oh, Spirit of God, fill me so that I can acquire fame. Oh, Spirit of the living God, fill me so that I can be happy and have less trouble in my life. That's not going to ring a bell with God. Oh, Spirit of the living God, fill me now so that I can be influential, that I'll have a lot of friends in my life. Or Spirit of the living God, fill me that I could have a lot of wealth and do this and that for your kingdom. Listen, that's not going to ring a bell with God. That's not the kind of prayer that's going to shake things up in your life. And then sometimes when we pray those kind of prayers and we pray them over and over and over again and we see nothing happening in our life and it seems that heaven is silent in our life and then we say, I just don't understand it. God, I'm going to quit on praying. I'm going to quit on you. You've made me mad. I've done this and that for you. You've ignored it. And so there must not be any more use in me praying. But think about it a different way. When you get to the place where you're putting God first and you're not saying, oh, spirit of the living God, fill me for all of my earthly pleasures that they might be satisfactory in my life. But when you begin to pray like this, oh, spirit of the living God, fill me so that I can be an extension of your hands. Oh, spirit of the living God, fill me today so that I can lift you up and magnify you and that I can draw people to you where they will be encouraged and strengthened and they can know you in a personal way. That's the kind of prayer that God's saying, I'm, I want, I'm interested in, I'm listening. God's Spirit will fill you when you're willing to be a witness for Him, when you're willing to lift Him up, when you're willing to put Him first, when you're willing to give Him the glory. Let me ask you this. You might be in a situation right now but let me back it up just a little bit. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you have just desperately, desperately needed God to intervene? I mean intervene. I'm not talking about giving you something that makes you feel good, scratches your ego a little bit. I'm talking about this. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you needed God to shake something? Turn it around. Make it different. And have you ever been to that place where you have wanted God to do it so much? And you might say this, Pastor, when do, when do I quit praying? I've been praying for something for so long, I don't even remember when I started praying. Listen, let me help you with this. Don't get mad at God and don't quit praying about it unless... God clearly says no. He clearly shuts the door. Number two, if God takes that burning passion that you're praying for out of your heart, that's not by coincidence. So listen, unless God says no, unless God removes that from your heart, don't stop praying. Pray without ceasing. And when you get to this place of desperation, you say, preacher, to be honest with you, I've been praying about something for so long now my heart feels like an anchor. It's weighing me down. I feel pressured. Sometimes I cry myself to sleep. Sometimes I go to bed depressed. I wake up depressed. Sometimes during the day, it just seems like that the world is just 
closing its walls on me and sometimes I feel like I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act. I don't know where to go. It seems like that I'm a little child and I'm down on my knees and I'm begging God and I'm screaming to the top of my soul, God, help me. Let me ask you, have you ever been to a place like that? Where you just absolutely couldn't take another foot forward. And the only possible remedy was for God to show up. If you haven't been there yet, your day's coming. We're all going to find ourselves in a position like that. When you need God to shake some things up, to, to turn things around in your life, to personally get involved, then let me suggest this surrender to His will. I've prayed this many times. Lord, this is what I'm praying for, but I would rather have your will more than my will. And so you surrender to his will. And then you pray with confidence, boldness. For God to work out this problem for his glory. Not for your satisfaction, but for his glory. Not for your convenience, but for his glory. And it's then when we say, Lord, give me more boldness to do what I'm doing for you. I'm not asking you to give me a cloud of cotton to float around on. Lord, here's my need. Here's my burden. This is my prayer. I pray, oh God, that through the answer, you will be glorified. That through the answer, it will be your will for my life. And I believe, friend, listen, when we begin to pray like that, we're going to see God shake some things up in our life. Please remember that when we pray, it's not about us. Even though we think, we feel, this is a terrible situation I'm in and you may be in one. He didn't come to get you out of trouble. He came to walk in the trouble with you. Let him be the fourth man in your fire. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.